Hello everyone, welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of uh, Tea Time Reports. Really hope you enjoyed the finale of last season with our first exclusive interview. Uh, we have so much more planned, a new show potentially coming sooner rather than later. Um, but uh, tonight's just me, Trevor. Uh, we got a, just a simple discussion. Season 2 for us, and there's another Season 2 coming up for a... Uh, I guess a revived league. It's called the USFL, if you haven't heard it. I imagine you have in the past year seen an ad on Hulu or on TV or heard it from a friend or something, a fanatic like me. But I kind of just wanted to take this episode to not only breach into season two the right way, but uh, I wanted to talk about the USFL season one. I wanted to kind of summarize and go over some of the big awards uh, for the best players of season one, some of the big uh, names that came out of there that got called up to the NFL, uh, team overviews, and individual player performance as well. I got a bunch of stats that I notated myself um, at you know real time back during the uh, season one. But uh, I guess we'll just go over team records at first. Um, by far the most disappointing team in season one was the Pittsburgh Maulers. And they rebranded the team, new head coach, new players now, but they went one and nine. It was a disaster. Uh, they were terrible on offense, special teams, defense was lackluster. They had standout players like Boogie Roberts and uh, Bailey Gaither, Vadley, but uh, they, they, it was just a terrible, terrible, terrible year for them. And then in the similar division, or actually the same division, there's only two divisions in this league, but I'd like to note the North and the South. The North contains the Pittsburgh Maulers, the New Jersey Generals, and the Michigan Panthers, and the Philadelphia Stars, while the Southern Division consists of the Birmingham Stallions, the New Orleans Breakers, um, at the time the Tampa Bay Bandits, and then the Houston Gamblers. Um, so yeah, there's two divisions, eight teams total. 10-game regular season, two-game postseason, plus the championship, so 13 weeks of potential football for these clubs, and the Maulers went 1-9. and nine. <laughs> But a much better team in that division was the New Jersey Generals. They went 9-1 and one last year. Standout players on their squad consist of DeAndre Johnson, great dual-threat quarterback who's going to really take a leap this year in Season 2, uh, Luis Perez, who's moved on to the XFL, uh, they had Cavante Turpin emerge from that squad and be an All-Pro in his first year in the NFL, and that's the biggest name from the USFL thus far. Uh, they also had, um, I want to say, oh, Devontae Bosby, a defensive back who was a really good player for them. Um, I think he's returning, or if not, he might be in the XFL. But they went 9-1, and one, which is very impressive, obviously. And then in the same division... Uh, Another disappointing team with another disappointing, I guess, appearance or uh, play on the field was just terrible for Shea Patterson. He was the number one overall pick uh, for the for the first inaugural season, and he was just terrible. I think he got benched and traded midway through the year. Um, he just looked like a deer in headlights uh, every play. Uh, never seen a quarterback collapse in a pocket. Normally the pocket collapses around the quarterback, 
Um, but yeah, uh, standout players on that squad. Obviously, Reggie Corbin, who's a beast. Lance Lenore. Um, Joe Walker. Um, trying to think. Uh, Frank Ginda, a stud. Um, but yeah, no, the, the Michigan Panthers have good players. They just had really bad coaching and bad quarterback play, as well as kicking. Um, which, honestly, field goals are important in these alternative leagues because points matter, obviously, as they do in the NFL, but they're harder to come by in these leagues because the quarterback play, again, is abysmal. Um, but yeah, moving on to the fourth and final team in the Northern Division, which was the championship appearance Philadelphia Stars. Um, they had an adversity-filled year at 6-4 and four in the regular season. Um, obviously, they went on and won two postseason games and then went to the championship and lost. Uh, but Brian Scott was their starter for four weeks and went down with an injury. Case Cookus came in, looked rough at the, at the first start, you know, looked a little rough. But then he just became the chef, you know. And it's just one of those things where it was awesome to see his story unfold. And he's back. A lot of these guys are returning. So I, I, I'm excited to see the Philadelphia Stars with an even better roster. A lot of the good coaches obviously stayed. I know the Maulers coach, Kirby Wilson, left. Jeff Fisher for the Panthers is gone. Um, the Breakers got an, the New Orleans Breakers got a new coach. And the Gamblers as well got a new coach, the Houston Gamblers. Um, but moving on to the first team in the Southern Division, who this was the championship squad. Uh... And again, the first season only took place in Birmingham. It was the only hub city, so they had the upfield advantage, if you will. But the Birmingham Stallions went 9-1, and one, uh, went all the way and won the championship, so technically they won 12 games. Um, they were amazing. I mean, Alex Magoo, J.M.R. Smith, a quarterback, another team that utilized the dual QB setup, and it worked. One that could throw and one that was good at a bunch of things. They lined Alex Magoo up at wide receiver in the championship game and in the playoffs. Like he was like a Taysom Hill kind of guy, but JMR is really good. I think he'll be a backup at some point in the NFL and maybe even a plug, plug, go starter because he's good. Just makes some bad mistakes sometimes, but uh, who doesn't? Um, but the Birmingham Stallions, they're definitely the team to beat in season two. Next up is another team that was decent because they had a decent quarterback in Kyle Slaughter who has also moved on, but they had good running backs and uh, good uh, skill position players like Jay Adams. Uh, they were very fun to watch. Kyle Slaughter had 11 picks but 10 touchdowns in the uh, gosh, 11 games uh, that they played because they got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. Um, but it's going to be just interesting to see them with a new QB arsenal with a keel glass uh, Bethel Thompson, and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. I think it's Connor Sampson, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's going to be interesting to see them. They went 6-4 and four in Season 1. I don't see them getting worse than that, but I can also see it. You, you never know. It's a 10-week regular season, so there's going to have to be some losers. And now I'm going to skip the Bandits for right now, just because that's a little bit of a longer story. But the Houston Gamblers went 3-7. and seven. Uh, they were disappointing. They would lead games and then just give it up in the fourth quarter completely. So it was just one of those things where they would shoot themselves in the foot and they couldn't finish the game. Um, I'm excited to see Kenji Bahar. Who, fun fact, the Gamblers are the only team to beat the Stallions um, on their championship run in Week 10. So uh, Kenji Bahar has upside. 
he's the quarterback, and they also have a really good running back, Mark Thompson. For the first three or four weeks of the season, in season one, he actually averaged 100 yards rushing a game. He was a dog, and he still is a dog, of course. He's returning. Uh, but they have players on that team, man. They got they got a bunch of guys that actually got up to XFL squads and stuff. Uh, Will Likely and, uh, gosh, uh, Donald Payne. Shout out to Donald Payne. Had a great interception this past weekend on, um, on uh, gosh, it was a Jack Cone, I believe. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm excited to see what the Gamblers can do. They got a new head coach, and they're just, they're, you know, they're, that was a good team. But they, again, just couldn't close out the games that... That obviously mattered, 3-7, and seven. that's terrible. But the Bandits, so everyone's probably wondering, oh, we, the Bandits, they're not on like any, you know, rosters or social media, or they're not posting. Well, they actually took a hiatus season, so they will not be playing in Season 2. The team and roster pretty much was moved to Memphis to revive that club, which has a way more solid foundation and has a bigger fan base off-rip and they're utilizing facilities and uh, training facilities for free because the mayor of Memphis and the USFL actually came to a deal and they signed some kind of contract. I don't know the longevity of it, but it was lucrative for the USFL. They get to use training facilities for free and then they, uh, I guess it's friendly for the city because they actually have a ball club there and Memphis is a football place, man. So it's gonna be interesting to see the Memphis Showboats in their technical first season. But I really do want to see the Tampa Bay Bandits rev uh, brought back and revived, hopefully in Season 3 or Season 4, whenever they expand the league again. But I'm, I'm really excited for that. But those were the team records for Season 1. Um, the big awards for Season 1. Coach of the Year 2022 went to Mike Riley of the uh, New Jersey Generals. Offensive Player of the Year 2022 went to Darius Victor, running back of the New Jersey Generals, who is a complete dog, also returning. Defensive Player of the Year 2022, Chris Odom, defensive end from, I believe that is, the Stallions. No, I, I think that was the Gamblers, honestly. Yeah. I'm not too sure. I feel rude for even saying that. Um, but USFL MVP, Kevontae Turpin, he was a wide receiver slash specialist. Dog, biggest name to come out. He made an immediate impact for the Cowboys. Um, Sportsman of the Year, Matt Colburn, running back for the Philadelphia Stars. And he's also really good. Actually played in the Hall of Fame game before last season for the Jaguars. So did Kyle Slaughter. Um, the Stallions obviously were the champs and there's a bunch of other awards that I, I didn't mention there but it's just exciting to see this league take a format that is similar to the NFL but it's kind of fresh in a way because these are new players new guys new characters are being introduced to new stories that we get to see unfold on the field um, but I guess I'll go over some of the quarterback play um, regarding touchdown passes thrown um, and passing yards so for the top 10 quarterbacks, I imagine this is, I've written down here. Yep, top 10 quarterbacks in yards. Number one was Jordan Tayamu with 2014. And he started in 10 games and played in 10 games. Kyle Slaughter had 1798 passing yards. He started and played in 9 games. J.M.R. Smith for Birmingham, 1,573 passing yards. He 
played in nine games, but he started seven. So this is where like the double quarterback play and the injuries and then the emergence of some of these guys come into play. They didn't start the whole season. Case Cook is games played nine, games started seven. Luis Perez, oh, Case Cook is 1,334. Sorry about that. 1,334 passing yards, and he does play for Philadelphia Stars. He's also returning. Um, Luis Perez, games played nine, games started six, with 1,200 passing yards flat. Shea Patterson, uh, drafted by Michigan Panthers, but then he got traded to New Orleans after, uh, I don't know how many weeks, but he didn't play a game for New Orleans. Um, but he, games played seven, games started five, with 1,020 passing yards. Clayton Thorson, games played seven, games started seven as well, 987 passing yards. Josh Love, traded from Pittsburgh Maulers to the Michigan Panthers midway through the year. Games played seven, games started five, 791 passing yards. DeAndre Johnson, 900, uh, oh gosh, excuse me, nine games played, four games started, uh, with 772 passing yards. And then Vadley at that number 10 spot, 729 yards passing. Games played six, games started four. Now, going to passing touchdowns, which I don't have the games played or games started for this stat line because some of the quarterbacks won't be in here from that previous top ten. But I'll just kind of run down it quickly. Jordan Tayamu, 14 passing touchdowns thrown. Case Cook is 12. J.M.R. Smith, 10. Clayton Thorson, 10. Kyle Slaughter, 10. Lewis Perez, 9, Vadley, 6, Brian Scott, 5, Paxton Lynch, 5, Shea Patterson, 4. That's the top 10 in passing touchdowns thrown. Those aren't accounted for, obviously, touchdowns acquired on the ground because other guys would be ahead of Shea Patterson and Paxton Lynch and such. But now on to particularly probably my favorite aspect of these new all-leagues, which is the running back position. I just think it's a very important spot and... A lot of guys that would normally get missed get actual spotlight to show their abilities. Um, but Jordan Ellis in rushing yards is number one. Played in all ten, uh, ten games but of the regular season, but only started in seven with 596 rushing yards. Trey Williams, um, ten games played, ten games started with 579. Darius Victor... 10 games played, 0 games started with 577. Reggie Corbin, uh, 8 games played, 6 started, 579. Mark Thompson, 9 played, 7 started, 463. Matt Colburn, 10 games played, 4 started, 457. Madre London, 10 games played, 1 game started, 415. CJ Marable, 9 games played, 5 games started, 401 yards. Jordan Tayamu, a quarterback, 10 games played, 10 games started, 365 rushing yards. And then Big Bo Scarborough, 6 games played, 5 games started, 352 yards. And then we can probably move right over to the rushing touchdown leaders. And these are all top 10 lists, obviously. Um, we have Darius Victor with 9 rushing touchdowns, Matt Colburn with 8 rushing touchdowns, CJ Marable with 5 rushing touchdowns, Jordan Ellis with four rushing touchdowns. DeAndre Johnson, a quarterback, for four rushing touchdowns. Alex Magoo, another quarterback, three rushing touchdowns. Stevie Scott, three rushing touchdowns. Jawan Washington, three rushing touchdowns. J.M.R. Smith, another quarterback, two rushing touchdowns. And Darnell Holland, two rushing touchdowns. 
It's one of those things. And if you guys don't know the teams for these players, get the Fox Sports app and you can actually follow player profiles. And it's, it's actually really interesting to see, like, the biography and, like, some of the histories behind some of your favorite players you didn't even know about. It's one of those things where uh, I wouldn't know a lot of these things if I didn't use some of these applications or try and seek this knowledge out for myself. Um, now we can probably move on to wide receivers, and I'll kind of gloss over the rest of this. Because um, I even have kicking point stats. Like, this is how in-depth I went with this league. Um probably a little a little excessively but i believed in it truthfully um excuse the noise in the background logan is gaming with the homies if you will um but again back to wide receivers and tight end these are the stat leaders for them receiving yards and receiving touchdowns okay let me grab a little beverage of this purified water here bear with me For receiving yards, the leader was Cavante Turpin with 540. Then Lance Lenore Jr. for 484. And I even have the Yak listed. Wow. Cavante had 44 catches and Lance Lenore had 52 catches. Marlon Williams with 32 catches at 474 yards. Victor Bolden Jr., 42 receptions for 415 yards. Jonathan Adams, 31 receptions for 406 yards. Dierick Dillon, 28 receptions for 386 yards. Bug Howard, shout out to Bug Howard, um, 30 catches for 371 yards. Cheyenne O'Grady, 32 receptions for 371 yards. Jordan Sewell, 36 receptions for 370 yards. Rashad Davis, 22 receptions for 369 yards. And Shiona Grady is a tight end. Buck Howard is a tight end. Those were the only tight ends in the top 10. And Buck Howard actually did get a call up to the Bucks, got injured on the practice squad, got a settlement. Shiona Grady, I believe, is still in the USFL. I haven't heard too much about him. He was a, he was a standout tight end for the league. Um, reception touchdowns. Isaiah Zuber for five. Buck Howard for four. Jonathan Dixon for four. Kevante Turpin for four. Bailey Gaither for four, De'Eric Dillon for four, Marlon Williams four, Osiris Mitchell three, Jordan Sewell three, and DeAndre Overton for three. There was actually, I believe, three receivers and one, two receivers and one tight end from the Stars in the top ten for receiving touchdowns, which is fairly impressive. Um, I know Case Cookist wasn't even in the top ten for passing touchdowns. Brian Scott was with five, and he missed half the season plus the playoffs. That's interesting to think about. Now the kicking stats. I guess we can shout out some kickers here, just the top ten of the kicking points real fast. Brandon Aubrey for Birmingham, 76 points, 91.7% PAT. Nick Vogel, uh, Houston, 80% uh, PAT for 66 points. Louis Aguilar, you may know him for being one of the biggest busts of the NFL draft. Um, a kicker in the first round by the Bucks For the Philadelphia Stars, 100% PAT, 43 points on the year. Tyler Rousa for Tampa Bay, 93.8% uh, PAT, uh, percent PAT, and then 42 points. Taylor Bertolette, 
for New Orleans, 75% PAT, 42 points. Cole Murphy from Michigan, 42 points, 81.8% PAT. Austin Jones, 31 points, 76.9% PAT. Matt Mengel, 26 points, 88.9% PAT. Nick Rose, 19 points, 100% PAT. And a lot of these guys may have gotten injured or rotated out. That's why the numbers are kind of weird on that. But once we see, like, legitimately consens uh, consistent players, multiple seasons worth of stats, a lot of this averages and stuff will even out and actually look a little more legit. But uh, as far as the stats go... I think... Oh... Big season one names for defense. Channing Stribling, Scooby Wright, Frank Ginda, Boogie Roberts, Toby Johnson, Tay Hayes, Devontae Bosby, Will Likely. So many more guys that I, I I wish I had all the names in front of me. But there was great play last year, and I think we will only see better. Um, especially with a more established front office for each team. Uh, a legitimate offseason, uh, more rules and guidelines set up for GMs and drafting, um, and, and also another shout out to the Memphis Showboats, their uniforms drop tomorrow, um, already have a really nice looking helmet, I'm excited to see what they're able to do regarding uh, the uniform, pulling it all together. Um, I, it's just one of those things where I really want this league to succeed, and it definitely had some bad spots last season, you know, some rough games, some rough performances, uh, but I think this year it'll be more full sound, it'll be a better product, um, and I think that's all you can really ask for, and I'm just excited to see some of these guys get to show what they can do, excuse me, but uh, no, but Bo Scarborough, I'm excited to see him, I'm excited to see these quarterbacks year two. I'm excited to see these returning players, the new signings, the free agent signings, the draftees. I'm, I'm very excited for this season two of the USFL. And I think if this does well, I think we'll see a legitimate expansion immediately. Um, not immediately, but in a sense where season three or season four, we could see new teams added. And I know paperwork and... Um, business is being conducted regarding um, patents and copyrights of logos and team uniforms and names and stuff like that, like the Washington Federals or the Canton Blitz or the Denver Gold, bringing back the Bandits, maybe the LA Express, but I think they're going to play it smart, keep it in the Eastern Hemisphere because that's where I feel like you can kind of trust the markets. They're a little more proven than L.A. or Portland football teams. Because, like, if you throw a club out there, that's far. Travel expenses, just trying to keep it all, you know, kind of consolidated would be a little tough. They need to slowly grow into that. They have a bunch of teams they can revive from the 80s. And I'm just more and more excited the closer and closer we get. And I hope everyone shares that excitement. I hope everyone will at least tune into one USFL game this year. Um, it's coming up in less than three weeks now. So training camp's been going well. The social media uh, teams and accounts have been very active and on point and on their shit about making sure that this league is getting the hype and the, the, the glamour it deserves.
uh, I also noticed and saw that the XFL has been um, renewed for a season two, which is good to see. Uh, it's good to see these all leagues thrive because we need year-round football. Uh, I feel like Americans want that. Even though if they don't know they want that, they'll appreciate it. I think the world can too. Canada, Mexico, our, our, our neighbors, if you will, they could maybe get a team at some point. That'd be so cool. But it's just one of those things where I think it'll go as far as the love of the game will go for the league. If they push it and keep pushing it, they'll poke, a, they'll poke the wrong bear, make the wrong choice, the wrong business move, and then it'll come down. But as of right now, the players, the coaches, everything is perfect. Everything is a good fit. Everything looks ready to go. And I'm just so excited to see it unfold on the field. But I guess this is where I can kind of segue into... Um, I guess the XFL, uh, yeah, this past weekend was abysmal for the Orlando Guardians. If you're a Guardians fan, um, it was just rough to watch all around. And my God, if you did, God bless you. It's just one of those things where it's like, man, we suck. I don't think we're going to win a game this year. And if we do, I'll be shocked. But we can't even beat Ben DiNucci when he just gifts our DBs the ball. But uh, it doesn't matter, I guess. I don't think we're going to win a game. We'll go 0-10, be the worst alt-team in history. There's going to be videos by Flemlo and Bengal in 10 years about this team and how bad it was and how, how could it have been this bad. Um, but it, it, it is. Like We put up points where we were in this game until halftime, and we let it go. Just a disappointing showing. Um... Cashman Field for the Vipers looked a little better, but the attendance numbers are very lousy for the the Vipers and the Orlando Guardians. And granted, it's because they're shit, um, but it's just, uh, you know, they're banking on that, I feel like. I feel like that's one of the biggest things the, the XFL is trying to bank on is live audience and getting money through ticket sales and the gift shop, and which granted, great. But off-rip, that's hard to build a loyal fan base off-rip. But at least you're giving them that that taste in their own city um, so they can actually follow the club, which the XFL and the USFL will be there soon for sure. They're in four hub cities. Detroit, uh, Detroit, Birmingham, Memphis, and Canton. So it's going to be interesting to see these four hub cities do their thing, uh, draw more of a crowd, more of a fan base, and year three, hopefully all these eight teams will have and be in the respective cities. And then that's when they kind of go in to try and add more. I mean, I got I got to think that now that gambling is allowed in uh, the USFL for season two, I think they're going to be pulling in a lot more money than people realize because this is going to be a good ball, uh, a, a good place to go watch quality football. Like it's going to be quality ball and it's going to be hard to predict, I feel like for a little while, but I feel like there could be money to be earned off of some of these games, in my opinion. And if I do start, you know, gambling on the USFL, I will definitely let you guys know my picks. <laughs> because I've been watching this league since week one of last year, since United by Football, the, the TV show that came out, I believe a couple weeks prior to the season opener. But it was just, it, it was a great experience to live tweet the games, never miss a fucking game. And now you get to see this league in a different, like a different mode. It's in a different grind now. And they have a lot of young talent and a lot of talent in general that's kind of like you see guys getting released every day. And you're like, damn, if they just had two more teams, three more teams, four more teams, they could have places for all these guys. Like you could build a whole roster with some of these guys. 
give him another chance, give him more spotlight, you know, like, it's just one of those things where I'm excited to see it grow, and I think, I guess that's really all you can be excited for, honestly, because other than just the, the really good play and, like, watching stories unfold and finding out new players and discovering new athletes you can appreciate, I mean, genuinely think about it, this league could become, like, the summer league, because it kind of comes on after the XFL, and it's kind of alone for football, you know, in the summer, it could really take over. It could be a thing, especially if more teams are added near anyone, near any of you, maybe if you're a football fan. But if you're elsewhere in the world, and I know we have a couple listeners over in Europe and some in the, uh, some in Nigeria, some in the continent of Africa. So if you don't know what the USFL or XFL is, definitely look it up on YouTube. Uh, check out the Fox Sports app and you can look up player bios and you can actually follow players and look up all their stats in every league they were in. So it's just one of those things where if you're a stat junkie and a, a sports lover and just a nerd like me, like that's one of those things where you could genuinely find maybe a club you're interested in or the, hey, I like these uniforms. Oh, I like that quarterback. He's really cool. I'm going to look out for him this year. All you got to do is look up a game, like a game highlight or two game highlights. Just get a gist of what the league is. And it was so fun. Season one definitely get a idea of what the league is they have plenty of content on instagram and stuff speaking of content on social media platforms if you don't follow our instagram or twitter definitely think about doing that because we're on we're active on there all, all the time especially twitter uh, it's at tea time reports for both of them and if you're listening you know across the pond or down under wherever uh, definitely check out the USFL and XFL. Altern Alternative American football is really fun to watch. And you can find a new club and a new player you love or you want to root for, a story you want to follow, get behind. You know, and a guy I really appreciate is Darius Victor. His catchphrase from season one was, Thick thighs save lives. <laughs> he has 27-inch thighs. He is a beast. He is a beast. He, he makes men look like ragdolls i mean this guy is he's not the tallest dude but he is huge he's yoked out of his mind and he runs like doug martin like a muscle hamster and it is so cool to see because he will you got you gotta have like three guys with you to get this guy down like there's no way otherwise <laughs> he, he runs with anger and a purpose and i love watching darius victor play if you, if you don't know where he is, he's on the New Jersey Generals and the USFL, and he is a dog. Yeah, check him out on Twitter. He's a really cool personality as well. Uh, another great personality, in my opinion, is Scooby Wright in the league. He's the famous shark dog. That's his uh, spirit animal, apparently. And he actually got the game ceiling pick six in the championship game. Case Cook is the quarterback for the Philadelphia Stars. Goes down with a broken leg in that game. KJ Costello comes in as quarterback. Tries to step up, make a play, sails a check down right into Scooby Wright's lap. He takes it for six. Game over. Game over. Shout out to KJ Costello, not because he threw that pick, but because after that pick, he let his team down the field for a drive because he didn't want to give up. He was still in the game, but uh, it was too late by then. One of, one of my favorite games I've ever watched, and I'm glad that even now, I'm glad I'm, I can call myself a part of this community because it is a good community to be, to be a part of. Um, really awesome football players you you would think should be in the NFL, getting paid way more than they do, even if it's not a starting position. 
uh, practice squad making six six digits would be great for these guys and all they need is spotlight and a chance and you saw Channing Stribling eight picks last year and ten weeks of ball the cornerback for the Philadelphia Stars he had a great defense and I'm, I'm excited for the return of the USFL that's what I'm excited for and I hope everyone else is too um, I guess this was a kind of like a little summary of season one uh, I really appreciate everyone for tuning into this one uh, I might be solo for the next couple episodes I'm gonna be kind of grinding out some content here I got a lot to talk about it's one of those things um, but again if you guys like the USFL we tweet a lot about it if you want to learn new information about it definitely head over to our Twitter or obviously just check them out yourselves go on YouTube go on IG check out the tape it speaks for itself but uh, thank you again and till next time this has been season two episode one of tea time reports and I appreciate you guys listening to the summary of USFL season one take care y'all goodbye